Welcome to YouTube's favorite comic book channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Today we're going to be looking at Wizard Magazine number 56. Came in two flavors of, of cover, as you can see here. Amanda Newsstand uh, cover with Wolverine and uh, the Dark Claw cover by Gary Frank. Looks like it's uh, enhanced pencil, man. I like the way the way those lines look. Um, before we get into this issue, got to let you guys know that we're going to be coming to Heroes Con uh, next week. As of this recording, uh, we're bringing... We bring copies of everything that we have in our collection. We, we rented a super giant vehicle that we're going to take down there to haul all of our stuff, man. So please stop by, put on your cartoonist kayfabe shirts, and uh, and join us. Also, the very last Saturday of July is uh, cartoonist kayfabe comic book Christmas in July, and we're promoting uh, that we that you take a bunch of your comic book doubles comics that you're not reading right now or go go buy a comic or two put them in those free little lending libraries in your neighborhood and around town uh the idea is to create a wider awareness of comics and create a, a bigger readership of comics we all discovered comics in our own unique way you put some comics in into those those bins uh, there's a good shot that you're going to excite somebody into becoming a uh, future comic reader. Without further ado, Jimmy, let's take a look at uh, Wizard Magazine number 56. This is definitely uh, one of the sweet spots of, of my uh, w wizard reading, man. This was the cover that I had uh, when I was a kid. Still buying this stuff off the newsstand. It's kind of cool to see Bart Sears here on the cover issue 56. I'm not sure his first issue, but... Pretty early on, single-digit yeah. issues, he shows up as a cover artist. I remember his Venom from, like, I don't know, issue six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Um, I love his cover work. I think it always looks pretty sharp. This thing's badass. Like, are these intestines? <laughs> like, like you know, you see, like, the blood and, and just bodies in the background carnage. I think these are intestines. I think he gutted somebody on the cover of the newsstand edition. It's so funny, man. They're going MPAA with it and, like, you know what? Maybe don't make it red. <laughs> Maybe don't make it pink. It is funny too seeing Dark Claw. Uh, we've looked at Dark Claw in previous videos from from that very successful Amalgam universe. You know, the, the second part of the Marvel versus DC crossover was let's gang up our characters and really hotshot. And I guess it paid off. They sold a lot. You know, like you're looking at number one books from across a couple of years there for Marvel and DC. I don't know that they're good comics, but right. they're kind of interesting. And, yeah, uh, no, and, it's and a, we'll, we'll see that in this issue. It's a cool conceit. Uh, there was an Ultra Force animated series. I do, I do remember that. It was pretty uninteresting, though. Uh, G Garib Shameless talking about finally, man. Like uh, this ain't exactly the manga issue, but we're getting a lot of manga content in here. Stuff that we've been building to for a while, including uh, Scott McCloud doing like a four or five page feature, understanding manga, which is a fantastic addition to this volume you, you mentioned hot shotting i feel like the the wizard guys are hot shot in this magazine the fact that we have two pretty decent issues in a row and uh for those at home who aren't uh up on pro wrestling lingo what hot shotting would be is uh, a guy owns a little territory that's kind of down in the dumps he's looking to divest himself of that territory so he's going to bring in hulk hogan and he's going to bring in the rock and he's going to bring in Stone Cold Steve Austin, put in a lot of investment to get these guys to come because that's going to boost the ticket sales. And he's going to take those ticket sale numbers to uh, potential buyers, show them that, try to trick them into thinking that uh, that is the, the, the gate of uh, a typical show. And then, uh, you know, getting a big reward running off somewhere. So I, it makes me wonder if uh, Garib is looking for partnership or to sell this thing off or, you know, if there's something something going on because there is a little sweet spot of good content in here before it completely falls off 
and that could be the influence of some future partner or something. I just don't know. I think there's a lot of good material in the 90s comic scene that maybe it's the second tier in terms of sales. So at the time, that wasn't what was blamed or celebrated. But you look back on it, and it's like there's a lot of interesting stuff. Weirdly, Wizard does, you know, it's almost like the broken clock that's right twice. There's some good stuff for sure. I love this ad for uh, for manga entertainment because this was this is my generation. This is my sweet spot. Uh, you know, promoting Ninja Scroll as one of the pieces. Appleseed had that. New Dominion Tank Police, which is Masamuni Shiro. Pat Labor one and two. I I had my hands on Wings of Hanamis. We talked about that last issue. That's the Gainax dudes. Black Magic M sixty six. That's another uh, Masamuni Shiro joint that uh, is probably the most watchable. Devil Man, of course, go Nagai, and then like, look what's coming. I had no idea that Violence Jack was was translated. That's a, that's a go Nagai one that was kind of like a precursor to um, Fist of the North Star. You know, has like a lot of that vibe in it. Uh, Gunbuster, which is another Gainax joint. The Giver, which I th- believe received a uh, American movie with uh, Mark Hamill, I believe uh, was was in that piece. Man, the letter art uh, is pretty interesting this guy travis j williams i feel like he could totally work in uh wildstorm studios or something are you looking at something uh, interesting on the letters page there jimmy no i'm not okay it's it's um not a great letters column this this issue nothing stood out to me in the letters I had no idea that toy story uh, was, was that early to see that and you know these issues are sneakily getting not that early anymore like 96 you know it's it's further along than i realized like in my mind some of this stuff is early 90s and it's like no we're, we're in the second half of the decade now. <laughs> april 1996 to be honest cartoonist kayfabe is brought to you by uh the books that we make but there's also a patreon king kayfabers on that patreon get all of the videos uh before anybody else completely mitigates that kayfabe effect and they have access to our uh, weekly stream uh where we create each of the episodes completely removing the kayfabe effect from uh existence for them uh the videos are brought to you by the books that we make you're looking at a good sample of our bibliography but we have some additions to this man we never stop working jimmy's gonna have street angel princess of poverty coming to you this summer it is a companion piece to street angel deadliest girl alive uh it's different material it's from uh jim's pre-image days and you have both volumes you're gonna have all of uh the street angel content that jimmy has created to date i'm gonna have forthcoming the hip-hop family tree omnibus is coming to you i just got the cover proofs look at that look at that gleam look at that gleam 504 pages look at the size of that spine that's a lot of comics in that book comprises all four volumes of hip-hop family tree 140 pages of new material that uh, is not uh has not been seen in any of the other volumes at this point and i drew a bunch of new stuff for this comic also there is a uh, x-men grand design trade paperback coming out that's going to have all three volumes of x-men uh grand design comprised into one volume uh it's a trade paperback coming to you in time for the holidays just like the hip-hop family tree omnibus and red room uh is my new series red room crypto killers issue one is out in the wild coming out on a monthly basis here's the cover for issue two murder on the dark web for fun and profit is the name of the game in red room comics there are two trade paperbacks without that out in the wild as we speak now that we're done paying the bills back to the video uh, the Uncanny X-Men Wait for the Onslaught. Uh, this was a big initiative for sure. And this is a this is when, you know, Joe Mad, I'm 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 fucking with X-Men at this point. I'm buying it off the newsstand. Um at this point in my comics career, you know, my comics collecting career, I 
probably just barely go to a comic store. Was, that was a big deal to be able to go to a comic store. So I'm still getting stuff just at the at the spinner rack, man. And I was picking up uh, the X-Men very reliably. Um, the 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 grocery stores and stuff were ordering heavy and people weren't buying them as they used to, like in during the uh, Beanie Baby era of comics. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get these X-Men so regularly. And Joe Mad was a real revelation uh, even in this issue, he's he's not quite who he is, but we're going to see examples of where like where his work goes when when like the manga influence kind of hits a fever pitch. But uh, onslaught that that was pretty much my out. I was I was pretty much done done with this stuff, man. Um, editors titles cut at Marvel twenty ninety nine is finally uh, going away at the dodo. Two hundred fifty people at Marvel slash Malibu are being laid off. Um, there's some question like hey man are we going to uh what are we going to do with thor comics what are we going to do with hulk comics uh titles like green like green goblin which i didn't even know had a title um, yeah i said same exact title where i was like i don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> uh new warriors uh is is going away um that that's a title that really fell off as soon as uh nisi and bagley went away from it 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 rapidly plummeted. We're going to get comments that uh, defend the Derek Robertson stuff. Oh, right. And to yeah, be sure. fair, I didn't read that. Uh, I do have it, a couple issues. It may issues. still be good. Yeah, I do um, have a couple issues. But man, that. I love that series. Like, like that was when I got from the beginning, and it just really won me over with no expectations. Like a random, I'm going to try this off the spinner rack. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, there, it was promoted in the Marvel Universe Series 2 cards. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity to like jump on a number one. Like in those days, it's so hard to... to convey this in today's climate but there was something to the high numbers of sh of comics it, it sort of meant it was prestigious to have like a 275 of something it, it meant that it stood the test of time and it had this like this this minimum of quality that was able was able to keep it going and you would be suspicious of number ones a little bit but when the spider-mans and the x-mens and stuff started uh we were on board with that here's my you know that was the boomer spider-man at 275 like we got we got uh, our own spider-man number one joey cavalieri one of the editors that's let let go here shows up at dc comics and makes, I, he might still be there like he was there for a long long time makes magic fantastic yes. editor man i think he did uh i think he might have been the bizarre mm -hmm. tales Biz was yeah bizarro the bizarre, yeah, 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 whatever that one. We got the cool cartoon. Basically, he brought cool cartoonists. That's to exactly comics. right. Had a really good eye for talent and, and looked much further than just Marvel and DC for talent. It's It makes so much sense, too, because, like, here we have the Hernandez bros uh, stopping Love and Rockets Volume 1 with issue number 50. And Cavalieri, I believe, will be the editor of, um, oh, yeah, uh, the Gilbert Hernandez, like, band, band comic. Uh, he was the editor of Sweatshop by Peter Bagg. Um, lots of, lots of cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, not burying the lead. The, the, the bros are, uh, putting down their pencils, man. When it comes to 11 rockets, issue 50 is going to be the last one of this volume. Uh, this cover was the inspiration to some of the hip hop, that one hip hop family tree mm -hmm. piece I did, uh, just showing off, you know, this is the, uh, cast of characters, the rogues gallery of, uh, 11 rockets. It's not said in this article it might have been on that anti-gravity room show when it was hi highlighted that that love and rockets is going to go away and the bros were like if everybody who said they were sad that the comic is going away bought the comic there would be an issue 51 
Uh, and there is so much truth to that. Uh, one of the great lessons in comics is is that uh, you get taken for granted uh, continuing this kind of stuff. There are the hardcore Stan Sakai fans who read all the Yusagi Yojimbos. There's going to be a huge... When, when that comic is done, there's going to be a lot of people crying about that. You know what I mean? But they ain't buying it. Like, the numbers don't lie. You could go on right. online and see how many people are buying these comics... Uh, so Gilbert and Jaime, they're going to go take a powder and do their own comics. Uh, girl, girl crazy is one of the things Gilbert's going to be working on. Uh, one of the noteworthy pieces of that beyond the Gilbert work of it is a uh, coop covers who never really does, uh, comics. I think there's a Dave Stevens cover on oh, one cool. of those issues. And we could look at that. I have that series and I remember it was one of my early Hernandez series. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Jaime's not sure what he's going to do. I think he does Penny Century. Yeah might be the if not the next book it's one that comes shortly after this yeah I, I remember that one being pretty exciting yes yes and i was scooping that one up from the start i think i started on uh love and rockets with issue 33 it was the white cover with the girls running from left to right with the cops behind classic cover that was the first issue like like i i grabbed issue one and i grabbed the latest one off the rack that was the latest one on the rack and just like kept up from 33 so it was pretty sad that to see it go but uh one of the Things that we're going to see in this issue, like like uh, uh, Artie from Howard Stern, he used to talk about a mush, and like um, the mush is the guy who who uh, who who bets on a sports team, and the sports team always loses. That's the mush. Like like I was a mush, man. When when, <laughs> when I found a uh, comic that I liked and I, and I got it put on my pool list. That's good. I used to joke about that. I didn't know the term, but that's what I was too. It's kiss of death if I like your comic too much. Yes. <laughs> um, Gaiman, you see him transitioning successfully into writing prose not his first book but signs a million dollar book deal i think that's kind of interesting that wizards on that tip totally and uh it it, it make is for the game and transition we're nearing issue 75 uh which is going to be the last issue of of sandman if it hasn't already come out uh one thing i didn't realize was that neverwhere was a tv show like like i i know the book mm-hmm I had no idea that it was a program first, and then he just kind of did an adaptation. So that's yeah, kind of that. that's kind of like uh, you know dipping his toe into the the novel pool. You know, he did the Terry Pratchett Good Omens thing ahead of that. Before that, I think he did like a Duran Duran like bi- biography or something. Uh, so you know, he's adapting something that he's already put together, maybe refine it a bit or something. And you know, the Duran Duran thing is is interesting to note because a lot of these guys have what's your first job? What's the first couple yeah. of jobs? How are you paying the bills early on before anybody who knows who Neil Gaiman is? And we talk about jobbers and people, you know, sort of don't know what that means exactly. This is the thing. He did a Duran Duran book. That's not what he's known for. That's not what he hangs his hat on. Right. It's not even a thing that pays well because who knows what the royalty structure, if there even is one for that. Yeah. But that's what you do in the beginning. And then you get to do whatever you want. And what does he do? He invents a whole bunch of new stuff. Yeah. You know, like he writes original material. He gets to be, he makes Neil Gaiman his focus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a launching point for a lot of these people, depending on your perspective and plans. But it is a different mindset, I think, and a different mentality, quite honestly, than doing like an ongoing a Spider-Man that you really, you can write it, but it's got to be Spider-Man when you're done with it. You know, you're very limited in what you can do there. Right. You, 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 you say Spider-Man, and you talk Jurgens, and we talk Jobbers, and, and uh, you know, he is the guy. He drew Death, death of S- Superman. Uh, for what we know about Klaus Janssen telling us that, like, Nightfall still pays Janssen's bills, maybe Death of Superman still pays Jurgens' bills. Uh, he leaves DC. Um, the best of the Jobbers would 
would pivot back and forth and kind of like up their page rates between Marvel and DC. Hey, I'm getting this over at DC, man. Can you match it, Marvel? And he got his own Spider-Man title in the same way that McFarlane did, right. a sensational Spider-Man. But uh, over the past bunch of months of Wizard Magazine, it definitely is established that Jurgens and these Marvel editors are not a very good fit. There's kibitzing in almost every issue we've covered in the past couple of months. Uh, so he's done. What's also, the, I think he got sold a little bit of a fake bill of goods when he shows up and they're like, oh, by the way, it's not really Peter Parker. It's the Clone Saga. Uh, and so he complains about some of the content that was just out of his hands and not really what he wanted to do uh, is part of the reason for leaving too. But here's the thing, dude, like in talking job stuff, like, so he was the death of Superman guy. He gets his own hot-shotted Spider-Man title. So he drops that to pick up Teen Titans. And like... Ain't nobody talk about them Teen Titans. It's like five steps down from the rung, man. Uh, the other thing about the Neil Gaiman thing that I think is interesting is uh, it's a three-book deal. Never wears one. There's a short story book that might be Smoke and Mirrors. It's called Time in the Smoke here. But I think one of those books might be American Gods. You know, that's probably one of his biggest books. And yeah. it's not even slightly mentioned here. You were pointing at the buzz box? Yeah, a couple of things from the buzz box. One is... Uh talk of Howard Chaikin doing a new version of American Flag and that publishers are lining up for it. I don't believe that ever saw print. So I'm kind of no. curious, Howard, what's the status of that? Did you put together a outline, plans for an American Flag follow-up? That'd be kind of cool. And then the other one is Justice League getting a facelift and it's Grant Morrison and Howard Porter. And I don't know if you remember this book and I bought the first couple of these. It became a very popular book and I feel like it was Grant Morrison's like superhero ascension. Like right. Grant Morrison writes a bunch of stuff of like weird British stuff and Vertigo stuff, kind of this outsider type writer and then gets JLA. And it was like, Grant Morrison, that's a Vertigo writer. <laughs> and it's like, becomes a superhero writer. writers written all Batman, Superman, all this stuff, X-Men. So what's kind of interesting. <laughs> like this is the beginning, I think of his big Superman of, of their big Superman push. Yeah. What's the big first order of business? Get all those goofy, JLA dudes out of there and give me Wonder Woman, give me Green Lantern, right? Give me all these characters, hundred percent. But the the uh, compromise that has to be made there is I gotta have Harpoon Hand, uh, Aquaman, <laughs> and Mullet I, Superman. Yeah, it, Mullet Superman transitioning into Electric Superman. <laughs> I gotta have that. Uh, I gotta have that. Uh, you know, Mankind version of Green Lantern. You know, like with, with the uh, Brutus Beefcake fa facelift fucking mask. I can see DC making moves because the, the, the Teen Titan book that Jurgens is going to is going to bring George Perez back as penciler, finishing the pencils and inking the book. So between that and the JLA, you can almost see DC like trying to put together a plan to let's get some books in the top 10 because that's something we haven't noted. But when you look at the Wizard Top 100 books every month, DC's nowhere near there unless they're teamed up with Marvel in one of the big crossovers. Right. TMNT to move to Image, man. Uh, this is going to be under that uh, that Eric Larson umbrella, which is interesting because we, it it might have been last issue we looked at the Jim Lee mm -hmm. TMNT action figures. Uh, Norm Brayfogle returns to Prime. Uh, you know he's he is a creator of that character, and you know I've heard from from people involved in legal administration that uh, a big part of like why you never see these Ultraverse characters in in Marvel Comics anymore is because those creators have, have a lot of equity stake in those characters. So, uh, you know, Marvel ain't looking to pay out much loot to uh, 
much extra to to these people. Marvel wins ALA honor. Is ALA, that's that thing that you like, American right? American Library Association. Yeah. See, it goes to show you, man. It's still early enough in comics that it's Marvel that, that uh, shows up. They're calling uh, Marvels is the book that they win it for, and it's for young adults. <laughs> Best book for young adults. Uh, any of the company updates, Jimmy? Not really. That's That's another part that's happening in comics at this time, at least from reading Wizard is that there does seem to be a lack of excitement. You know, Marvel DC has done their crossover and that's generated some sales, but like you read this stuff and it feels like everybody's asleep. True. Bite this. Uh, the internet is new. The internet is <laughs> happening and, and uh, they're, everybody's trying to figure out how to benefit from the internet. There isn't a critical mass enough of people who are really on it for it to be so beneficial. But I remember going to the library, right? To go into the internet, go into these weird websites. You got to plug them in. Uh, the search engines, you know, the yahoos and stuff are not sensitive enough that if you get one of the tildes incorrect, you ain't going to find it even in their search indexes and shit. And like uh, you go to a website for like uh, your local newspaper, the only thing on there is a front page that gives you like a toll-free phone number to call to get a subscription. There's no content from any professional organization on the internet yet. Uh, it The best material on the web is fan-created websites and stuff like that about chronologies and song lyrics and stuff. But it was, everybody was a little bit scared of it. And it's cool to see that, uh, you know, the wizard guys are kind of figuring out little ways to embrace that. The Immemorium. Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman yes. Passes, uh, age 81. And Nick Manabat, artist of Jim Lee's Cybernary Stories, that was the backup in Deathblow, passed away 23. Yeah, very sad because because Nick Manabat what, it was um, an enfant terrible or something. Like this motherfucker, the comics game could have been his. Like yeah. when you see that, tomorrow, dude, let's look at Cybernary on the channel. I love it. Yeah, he, he definitely was a suit, like talent-wise, because you'd see all these guys come through the studios. Silvestri Studio, Liefeld, Lee. They would all bring through all kinds of talent. And a lot of them would maybe take a couple of books, take a couple, maybe a year or two before they come into their own. Nick Manabat, I think the only thing he really does is Cybernary... It's a it's amazing from the get go. Dude like, is that going dude for it. Up ready to go. Dude is going for it. We'll put some, we'll show it off tomorrow, man. For those who uh, need that twenty three reminder, extremely sad. It's shocking. Extremely sad, man. Fuck cancer. This Akiko book. Uh, it's going to get some highlight in future uh, issues. Like, see, I'm remembering the, uh, these issues are burnt into my mind, and I remember there's going to be like a highlight of indie books, and Akiko's going to be one. Never looked inside one, uh, but these covers. It's striking artwork. It's, it looks like practical color. Yes. It looks very tight. Now, I'm looking at a thumbnail. Maybe if it's bigger, it ain't so great or something, man. But but uh, I am curious about that book. I'm curious kind of about serious entertainment. Because I think Dawn and Joseph Michael Linsner go there after the CFD you kind of meltdown. Yeah. But there's a ton of serious books. I don't know. They might even still be in business for all I know. I don't know their story at all, but I've got a bunch of their stuff. And yeah. I've seen a bunch of their stuff. And I think a lot of it is art driven yeah you know? how about todd got the guy who published serious like down at the little homestead outdoor convention that guy had a booth and uh i was going through books i'm like wow man you're distributing all serious stuff like like this is this is like super niche like thank you so much for for doing this he's like oh i'm the publisher <laughs> just coming came in from like jersey or something to go to a homestead to uh, a todd convention the only comic dude there you know what i mean like 
man. It feels like a like a version of Caliber or something that's, you know, it's it, a lot of its color books, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. But it's one of those where it's like it's an indie publisher, it's been around for a while. Definitely some people came out of there, you know, like it broke some people. I just don't know their story at all. I didn't even know it was Jersey based. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Uh, we have our come together article, Marvel DC, do the unthinkable, combining the universes into one. I think it goes as deep as like they have to create like a little, like an LLC together, man, to kind of like pull pull the funds. Like that was mentioned several issues back. But what we're doing is highlighting the various books from the Amalgam universe and, and giving you the creative teams. For instance, Super Soldier number one, Mark Wade with Dave Gibbons on the it's art chores. Yeah, I got, I got that one. I got Spider Boy. Carl Kessel with the writing with Mike Waringo and Carl Kessel on the art. Uh, he describes that Superboy happens at a thousand miles per hour, which is perfect. Waringo makes me want to look at it. Oh, uh, dude, like it's it's good. I, I do have that one pulled. We should be doing all the amalgams, really. I feel like I those have are easy episodes. So we, we can definitely start looking at these. They sell me on this. Yeah. Because I have them and I've read very few of them because, quite frankly, I don't think most of them look too good in person. Right. But reading this. They do a good job pitching it. And the way that it works is that Marvel spearheads the publishing of like six and then DC does the other editorially and all that. But like, I wonder how they drew straws for that shit, man. Because you know Legend of the Dark Claw is going to be the biggest one. So like, how do you, how do you compromise like with the other guy? Like, what do they get? Because there's not a close second, really. Like, Super Soldier ain't it. Spider Boy ain't it. And Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., by Chuck Dixon and Carrie Nord, definitely ain't it. <laughs> Speed Demon 1 got Howard Mackey with us. The heavy hitter's probably Salvador La Roca. Yes, it, that's a weird team because there's three artists listed there. Al Milgram, Salvador La Roca, and James Felder, who I don't know. Mm -mm. But Salvador La Roca and Al Milgram feel like really far ends of like the Marvel artist uh, spectrum. Yeah. And not an insult to either one, but very different styles when I think of those two guys. But it's the mashup of Flash and Ghost Rider. That's such a weird pairing. Yeah speed just for that speed demon title good title x patrol the kessels write it roger cruz is uh the art guy pretty smart you know you pull a guy who's drawn some x-men should be a, a good format that one was at the newsstand like like uh i got somebody had better distribution than the other publisher probably marvel because like this amazon one if I would have ever seen it, I would have picked it up, never saw it. That's John Byrne. That sounds like a good formula, because he's doing Wonder Woman at that time, and it's Wonder and Woman and Storm. Dude. Yeah, totally. It makes it makes perfect sense. And Terry Austin on the inks, which got my eye, because I was trying to think, those two don't team up that often. Post, Not anymore. Uh, Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, and, and, and this is that time when fucking John Byrne, on his Wonder Woman's, that inking is blunt. It looks like Sharpie marker yeah, does, at times yeah. and stuff like that, so he could have used that little extra, extra hand. Um, I'll say this. I'm not too impressed by what that picture looks like. Yeah, it's pretty you know, basic. Because that's that's an Austin Byrne combo there, and it looks like it was done pretty fast to get in this book, maybe. Yeah, maybe, man. Bullets and Bracelets was one that was at the Giant Eagle that I picked up, uh, John Ostrander. And I was a Gary Frank fan uh, and with Cam Smith. Like that, That's the team. And uh, they go over to D.C., to uh draw um supergirl comics and and i feel like he more comes into his own there but we got a blonde punisher and uh the bracelets aspect is uh like uh, uh wonder woman it has a weird mashup magneto and the magnetic men you know that's that's another one that was at the grocery i, I picked that one up you know i would i would have absolutely picked up some of these other ones but they just were not around uh, Mark Wade, Gerard Jones, uh, artist Jeff Matsuda, and Art T Bear. So you got the Extreme Studios guys. This is an interesting thing, and this and this lets you know some stuff about 
state of image state of extreme studios all that a couple of issues of wizard prior to this rob liefeld is gearing up for some big crossovers and all that kind of shit jeff matsuda one of his henchmen one of his heavy hitters man the, the artist behind new men uh, Rob Liefeld was talking about Newman's going away at a dodo. I think at that time, Todd Nock was probably the artist on that. But it was uh, it was pretty wild stuff to see the divestiture of Extreme Studios studio mates showing up in Marvel and DC. And that's a Matsuda. Is, uh, Matsuda kind of finds his own way style-wise. I start to like his work. It gets to be more cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And I find those qualities pretty attractive. Now, like a Kaboom era. Yeah, yeah. Now he's pretty much a... Uh, animation guy i see his name in the credits of like teen titans yeah, go and stuff that. like that assassins one man uh, scott mcdaniel on the art chores and who do we got there man we got electra and catwoman and catwoman it says daredevil and deathstroke but i mean look who we're looking at right um that seems like a pairing that could work you know all of that stuff sounds all right i don't remember even looking through that book to tell you if i you know how, how it turns out mcdaniel was doing daredevil before this, he might have even been doing it at this oh, yeah. point, but he's kind of local. I think he's like Scottsdale, Mount Pleasant it's area. Mount Pleasant, yeah. Which is really close to where I grew up. So, you know, like it was always like I would see him at shows because local and uh, kind of on my radar for that reason. He had Interesting. A, he had a great website uh, early on in the days of, of the internet and he explained some of his process. And I remember, like, in order to be an effective job, dude, with a monthly schedule and to keep up your work. His, his thing was, you got to get three assets done per day. That could be three pages of roughs. That could be a finished page of comics and two roughs. You have to get three bits done. And I thought that that was very instructive because he never missed a deadline. He kept he kept hitting his marks. And uh, eventually he'll get that um, Nightwing mm-hmm. series, which I think is like very big for him. And he becomes, uh, when he starts drawing the batman series like i put that on the pull list it's larry hama writing it and then it's um brian k vaughn and then it's the earliest ed brubaker's like wow like it's a it's a pretty good run it doesn't it doesn't hit like you know everybody makes fun of the larry hama shark guy villain thing um but i, I scooped it you know and he he you know did well enough and then uh in terms of arts can't, yeah. can't talk about the story because it's probably trash but dr strange fate one uh, with artists uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Kevin Nolan. Talk about a match made in heaven. Absolutely. These guys are amazing together and uh, would team up and do a Batman Confidential years later when I was on the DC comp list. I remember keeping those issues, but uh, two really great artists there together. JLX, uh, we got Mark Wade and uh, Gerard Jones with Howard Porter, John Dell. Yeah, Howard Porter, of course, we just mentioned a minute ago, taking over or, or starting that JLA relaunch. So. Good, good, good slot for him on both of those books, I'd say. Absolutely, and uh, it's all building. You know, these these uh, couple rounds of uh, amalgam books are going to come out, and then it ends with Marvel DC issue number four with Peter David writing Dan Jurgens, and the even in the conceit of the article here, it's all uh, wishy washy about like. We're going to try to tie this thing up. We're going to do our best to like make it all make sense. Uh, what, a, what a mess that would have to be as a creator. Stay tuned. There's all this stuff that like it seems like it's a absolute as a creator. It was like a, a really fun creative challenge. Like like uh, we're up for that. We're, we're the grand design guys. Give me 8,000 pages of comics to try to make a 250 page comic. So like I'm up for it. But rarely, you just you can't hang your whole career on that because here's the problem. Probably not going to be very successful. Two editorial masters you've got to serve yeah, here. Yeah. So you know the toughest part of this stuff is that editor piece, and it's like now you've got two companies, man. 
amazing ad ed we I, obviously this is on our list we'll I, be covering this at some point but that's a that's a pretty hardcore ad i think in the next issue that we cover i think there is a uh, sketchbook that shows his character designs and stuff for uh kingdom come we're talking uh yeah alex ross kingdom come like these promo pieces that are showing up the last issue there was like that eagle with like a speed trail that he painted in there uh going after something um, Probably it, a bat. It Eagle is versus bat flight. It is funny because it is like it's it's the old guard versus the new, and it's uh, Mark Wade and Alex Ross exercising demons about like the image era. But they are very square fanboy dudes, and to see them exercise a demon, it still looks square and Pegglewoodish. I, uh, I I admit I'm looking forward to the reread because I don't remember a lot of details. You know, I right. read it when it came out. I got rid of it, and now I recently picked it up again because, you know, got to buy all these comics twice, right? <laughs> Billy Tucci Q and A by way of Wizard. Uh, it's very cool. Like, Wait, they... this isn't a James Dean article. <laughs> yeah, I hands handsome motherfucker, Dude, right? How smart is Tucci that this is the picture you submit? You know, because like we see the pictures in the back yeah. often of these guys, and let me tell you, nobody's thinking headshots for the most part at this time. Dude's got a headshot. So he comes from the fashion world, so he probably knows the importance of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was a takeaway from this interview for me. Graduate of the Fashion Institute. Pretty interesting. I think it shows in She's Design. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You, this feels like a fabric. You've never seen this fabric um, explored in comics, really. Uh, the dude is... He's got good kayfabe, because he's, he's on that anti-gravity room show, right? And he's showing up in a, like, a leather jacket with like leather half-gloves on a motorcycle and taking off a helmet to like be interviewed and stuff, you know, like, like something tells me there's a couple takes yeah, to like get that good. shit right. Uh, but on that, on that program, you know, he's, he's uh, putting together a big party like that has, you know, probably the people from wizard and a bunch of press in there. And he's celebrating the fact that, you know, in the year of like 1995 or whenever, uh, so sold over, uh, over a million units of uh these self-published comics like this guy this guy created his his whole nut at, at this era he's probably good forever man you invest that shit properly um it is he's 29 years old at this point he is one of those very aggravating creators to me that like gets into comics late like uh didn't has didn't try to do it his whole life and then like hit some success he just kind of got into it and was like oh yeah i could do this and did it and was very successful right. at it I think it's pretty interesting to get that point of view because so much of this stuff is kind of the same starting point for all of us. You know, yeah. we get comics early, we love to draw. He comes in later and he kind of talks through that in some of this interview of just like doing research on how do you do this stuff, on I copywriting stuff, of raising money. You know, like all of this is very almost like a businessman's plan of like, how do you, how are you going to do this? Oh, he's a businessman. Like I remember seeing that dude at, uh, at Heroes Con one year when the internet went down, right? And everybody was getting onto that square shit. That motherfucker had the carbon paper ka-chunk ka-chunk credit yeah. card gimmick you know what i mean he probably dylan had williams it. used to run those shows who's that dylan williams a little, a little small press guy that i was friends with but that's funny that's uh that's something you don't see too often i bet that won't be at heroes con this year the ka-chunk ka-chunk <laughs> carbon paper joint and then you have to hope that the that the copy's wow readable enough when you go home and like send that number to wherever you however that works i always think like man kids today probably can't even write a check i don't know exactly how that carbon copy that's before my time i don't know like you keep a copy you send something in i have no idea how that device actually works they really cannot write a check these days man i, I had to <laughs> give a couple of walkthroughs man with some very 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 close associates uh he 
parrots a lot of what Brian Polito said a couple of issues ago about the growing pains and making every mistake possible while in business. It wasn't like a lot of people, I think, uh, are very, very shy about jumping into the pool for fear of failure or making mistakes. Every single one of these guys is in business already, has obligations, has goals that need to be met in order to make a thing happen. And they are fucking up along the way, but you live and you learn, you dust yourself off, you live to fight another day. And uh, you know, he put, he put out a couple dozen books. Um, it's funny reading the titles of the future books because it's all like, almost like onomatopoeia. Rekishi, uh, there's another one called like Tome, she, you know what I mean? All these weird words. She versus Tomo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, Ed. You talk about these guys in business, and it makes sense, Brian Polito, because I have a feeling the guys who were serious about self-publishing were having conversations with each other. You know, so the stuff that you're seeing them talk about in these interviews, I think they've probably talked to each other about beforehand. But also, like, he talks like money, you yeah. know, like raising money for this. And if it doesn't work... You know, it isn't a lot of money, but at the same time, if it doesn't work, he doesn't get to keep doing this yeah. because he's an adult. Like you've got to pay bills, you got to pay rent, you got to do all this stuff. And I think that's a real uh, difference in some of what we see in comics making. When you see the 19-year-old the at SPX with their mini comics, it's a very different concern that that person has than the 29-year-old who's got an apartment in New York. Um, there's some different realities there. So you're getting that perspective of adult and business. And it ain't bad to get some of that. He's he, he probably need more of that. It would be good, yeah. Like, uh, well, there would be less complaining in comics if uh, people were a little more conscious of that. I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, very, he's conscious of the bad girl thing. He bristles against it. He doesn't consider she a bad girl comic. But his idea for producing she was that he noticed that you know there was mm -hmm. uh, a comic book market devoid of female leads. Um, be you know, there's Wonder Woman. And Catwoman was really the hit because, like, Wonder Woman wasn't doing anything. You know, there's a reason why they had to, like, woo um, John Byrne to take that shit over. Yeah, they needed some burn victims. <laughs> but Catwoman was getting some fire, and uh, nature abhors the vacuum. This is this is a niche that uh, Billy Tucci recognized not that was not being served, but was starting to get a little heat. Uh, so make that shit happen. Do your own. Here's a quote for you. Talking about the comics industry... Quality books are going to be the ones that last. That's why I'm not too sure about the comics industry. <laughs> Ouch. He throws a few of those out there. That's so funny. He also says that, you know, she's out selling Superman and Batman books, and that's ridiculous. Right. That's wrong. I might be a little bit happy about it, but you have to look at the greater picture. Superman's been around 60 years. My book shouldn't be out selling Superman books. That's a heck of a statement right there. Totally. And, and, and like, it does speak to, like where things are and where they still are in a lot of ways dude like uh the the feedback i got on on red room one when it shows up on comic cron and stuff and dudes are like hitting me up like dude you're beating like a good chunk of marvel dc books that are freshly established all this kind of thing and you know long established it's just the comic market is, is crazy oh you, you and i were talking before we put the camera on about how like there, it's not necessarily there's a big resurgence, just like a new normal gets created uh, in mainstream comics at a certain point. I like seeing a Peter Cooper ad. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Vertigo Verite is like a subcategory of, you know, it's an imprint upon an imprint of Vertigo. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never seen that. I don't know what I don't that know is. I don't know it either. I like the label font, but 
more about the book, Wordless. It's a three-issue series. I have it somewhere. Like, it may be worth pulling out and digging up. You can see, like, he does stencil art and stuff. It's it's wild. He, it's, it's cool that Vertigo exists so they can publish a book like this because where else does this fit in comics? Certainly at this time. Peter Cooper's a bad motherfucker, man. Yeah. Uh, this is a disappointment because I remember there being, this is a fit to print, it's called, uh, 10 Tips to Help Fledgling Letter Writers Get Their Letters Published. We're not going to cover this at all. But oh man, I had like twenty minutes on. There's this. gonna be a uh, there's gonna be a piece from the like the jobber writers of the day giving you their spiels, and that that's a, that's gonna be a good article. How about this Texiera? This is on my joint. list. I, you, I want you to, have it. No, I don't. I want it. I love this page. This is the reason. Like totally. this is cool. I love text. This page is wild looking to me, and and I looked this up to see if it really came out, and it did. It's out Great. there. Great. So uh, this is on my hero's wish list is to find this book. So K somebody Fabers. wants to bring that to my table. K Faber's uh, Spider-Man Legacy of Evil three, uh, you know. Two two sets, please. P.O. Box three zero seven one Monahal, PA one five one two zero. We're getting full on painted text. Like we we got little glimmers of it with um the saber tooth covers. He if, if, to me, you know, like very important to me is he's he's the album uh, artist for Public Enemies Muse Sick in Our Mess Age cover, which is just fucking incredible. But these are very hopeful pieces. I love seeing folds, man, mm -hmm. and and that is a bulky ass like. Like, what is that, the lats? Yeah, man? dude. That Those dude, are some lats. He's a swimmer. That's Michael Phelps dressed up right there. <laughs> man, I was buddies with this swimmer that went on from high school. Went on to be a Navy SEAL, like, pretty badass dude. But we'd do those presidential fitness tests every year. He would do this move where he'd swing his arms, and he would slap his triceps and his lats, like, clapping. <laughs> it was nuts. Like, that's what I see in that Spider-Man gimmick right there. But Texair doing daylight painting is interesting because I associate him with, like, D just dumping ink on a page like, yeah really cool with the dark shadowy characters so to see a daylight painted scene spider-man looks a little bit weird which he should i dig that page yeah i want to see more of it totally uh sonic use this is something we're not going to cover very much either man uh teenage heroes have evolved from plot elements to major fan favorites there's no holding them back uh i would give more time to this if we got into like the steve Bissett book Here's the reason I would mention this. Matt Brady's the author. I think he's who founded Newsarama, and if so, he also co-founded uh, New Dimension Comics with Todd. Oh, that's interesting. Locally, local comic book chain. So kind of interesting to see his name show up there. One piece that I liked about this is if you look under Milestones, they're talking about the new Teen Titans, which was launched in 1980, and a lot of people, you hear Liefeld, all these people talk about how great it was, and you know, sold well. They talk about like it was sort of this like dark time, which makes sense for late 70s, early 80s yeah. urban setting. Kind of makes me curious to check that stuff out because honestly, I, I just haven't read most of that. Yeah, I and got, what I've seen looks good. I got like you know, I got dozens of issues, and I, I read them, and it, you know, it's it's very much rooted in that time. Like you, you, it's definitely one of those books you had to be there kind of thing. I'm thinking, but the artwork is unassailable. Yeah. Like like what George Perez can bring to his audience on a monthly basis is. I don't understand it. Like, it doesn't make sense at all to me yeah. because it's just too I agree. rigorous. It's amazing looking. Um, it's also that time period that would be like a cross between like New York City Outlaws and Brat Pack. You know, it's yeah. like these weird sidekicks. I'm interested in that, so I may check that out, although I bet it's one that I would hate the reprints of on nice paper. Like, I want to see that muddy paper. You mentioned New Warriors at the beginning of this episode, and it made me think like, the problem with new in the title is you get up there and issue numbers, you get up around 100 because like New Mutants, New Teen Titans, New Warriors. 100 issues in, 10 years in, like they're not new anymore. It's That's that's tough. Right. <laughs> now let's go to like the highlight of Here the issue, man. Understanding Manga by Scott McCloud. Uh, I'll be honest, like I, I love this article, but the, the, the sort of... Um, 
hypotheses that he's bringing in and, and some of the theory uh i like i just don't agree with yeah with almost any of it i never agreed with it even at the time but he's it's basically he like he's given these uh, these theories and and conjecture just to explain the mechanics and the tools that the manga cut show lay off. out the, the theory that he's putting out there because i'm glad you say this i wanted to talk about this when i read it it's to stimulate the involvement of the reader to basically try to put the reader into the comic which i don't know that western comics don't try that maybe right. they're not as effective at it but i wondered did this go back to manga manga was that talked about in manga manga yeah. or did he invent this concept that's a good question because i've seen this concept a lot and I don't know where it originates, yeah. but it but it is interesting. And like you, I, I just don't know if that's a conscious thing or if it's something that an observer is putting on it. Um, interesting to think about, but he does like then illustrate it with sort of examples of what he's talking about. Like now your point of view is you're the moving camera, right? You know, which talks about motion compared to say a Marvel or DC or Western comic a approach of like, here's a motion line. I love this piece about the technology. Cause that's like literally a part of the conversation that we had with him uh, during our shoot interview. It's a natural outgrowth of language. If you think of comics as language, I think of language as technology. Absolutely. So that all fits really well. He got his stuff at the, uh, the store that he went to man was the Kino Kunio bookstore. And th that, that store, um, I think in New York it still exists. There's a bunch of them all oh, around wow. the, the country. The I've never been to one. That, but, that, that feels like a uh, put it on your bucket list of comics destinations. But this is where I got all the um, the Studio Ghibli uh, storyboard books because there's plenty of Kinokunias all over Japan. And, and uh, that's a place... Like, you go to Mandarake for for arbitrage, for, for old shit, hand-me-down shit. You get go to Kinokunia for, like, the latest, greatest... And uh, at some of them, like they got original art all displayed whenever they have a signing or something with a mangaka, like they'll draw a piece and then that shit gets framed. Uh, great cross-section, like I, the, um, those Akira storyboard books and the, 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 the Complete Otomo, there's like a section. And, and when I went out there in November on the hunt for that animation cell book, they had on a chain, uh, like a sample book. Like, so it's like a chain yes. and then it's like a 40 page, like sample that you could like flip through and stuff. And, and like, they just know what to do. It's, a, it's such a good store. Um, I love this part, you know, like he's given his background as being a DC, working at DC comics during over 200 lunch hours. Yes. And you know, <laughs> I spe love it. speaking of Joey, he talked about that in our interview, but it's, it's great. I love this stuff. And he said that he bumped into Joey Cavalieri yeah. at the Kino Cunha. Uh, the editor that we just spoke of, they, and the, both of them had their heads down, like, and, and, uh, this is the part that like. You know, I, me and Brian Moss, we were out there with like with friends, man, with our with our people, civilians, and uh, they would sometimes come to a Mandara, like when we're at Nakano Broadway and shit, mm -hmm. like at the at the um, graphic novel section, and they're like, "How do you even know what to pick, man? Because it's all you just see the spines, and it's like you don't, you just just grab, just yeah. go in, grab. Like there's a reason why me and him have to go there by ourselves, three or four times in a two week trip." and be there all day right like you just you got to dig uh here's an observation early 3d modeling totally. on here like I, I did some of that in the early 2000s which would have been you know five half a decade later but you can still see the tales where he's building the bookshelves in the rooms and stuff i kind of love seeing it it's, it's it's of a time and it's also early digital coloring is still kind of new he's going one step further with the 3d rendering yeah it's very bleeding edge and and he goes in that direction there's no more Scott McCloud artwork. He like he like he's he went full digital yeah. kind of before almost everybody. And with 
this it's character. so quaint to see it now. You know, like where where it was in '96. I probably would have hated this thing so hard at the time, and now I look back and it's like, yeah, that's that's this nice historical moment. <laughs> I love seeing like the different choices here, man. Because you got Barefoot Gen, you got some Kitaro, uh, you know, Shigeru Mizuki, Ashita Nojo. Super cool. This is a pretty fun panel. You know, throwing a page of uh, contemporary American comics in there to, to talk about while he's standing next to it. That's a great panel. Yeah, totally, man. And, and he's illustrating how, like, the manga influence has crept in mm -hmm. to American comics. Now let's take a look at this piece, man, and see, like, who do we got here, man? We got Astro Boy. That's definitely Lupin the Third, Monkey Punch. I'm not quite sure who the third is, man. That's, oh, yeah, okay, right. Otomo, mm -hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub joint, man, uh, uh, Goseki Kojima. I bet you this one is um, Leiji Matsumoto, the yeah, Star Blazers so. yep. dude. And then probably Ramna. Mm -hmm. And then the last one I think might be Sh Shigeru Mizuki. Yeah, I don't recognize the last one. It's cool because it shows like the cartoony shit and then it gets to like um, Gekiga, like a little bit older kind of right. kind of material, man. Uh, to establish that there's like a broad you know, landscape of Japanese comics that we don't know about. When he breaks down this piece... That, that was uh, important to me because I already had two Shonen Jump volumes that had like the backgrounds that were super detailed and the cartoony characters. So him to kind of give a little bit of insight into that. Once again, it's another one of those like, it's an art theory that like, I don't, I don't think is why they do that. I, but I don't know why they do that, what, what they do in a manga. It's a good question as to why they do it, I don't know, but it's also touched upon a little bit in understanding comics. So it is, Not yeah. the first time he's been thinking about this stuff. Totally. Uh, talks about the long format of, of manga. Uh, this this piece right here like stuck with me so much because I was a Kamui fan. That was probably some of the first manga that, that I, uh, I sought out. Um, he talks about the length of manga, and this is like the baffling stuff that still is baffling. I go out there and, and meet mangaka, and there is no answer other than just like we have a lot of people helping us. There's a lot of secret people working on this. But when he's talking about like this little samurai story by Sampei Shirado, uh, volume one here is about 388 pages. This is volume one of about um, 40 volumes. It's probably Kamui Den. Mind bending in 1996. Totally. And when you go to like Mandaraki or something, there is a whole wall devoted to just Google 13. And then you go to the to the um, Sanpei Shirado uh, section and you could get, you know, the set of Kamui and Bunko or something like that. But he's got a whole wall. So like beyond the 40 volumes of that, he's got Ninja something or other. That's like another 20 volume joint. You know, he's got a bunch of one-shot collections. The other guy, Shigeru Mizuki, who, like, we didn't even get anything from him until the 2000s in the States. He's got a whole wall. And, like, they did this, like, perfect collection thing where they uh, publish his works by years. We took a look at one of those pieces, man, uh, which was what he did, like, uh, a licensed Plastic Man comic and bootleg Superman comics in, like, the 50s. Uh, just super versatile careers all subject matters that's the other piece that i wonder about these guys like how the fuck like yeah. like uh naoki arasawa how do you make a comic about a master surgeon right for some years and then you're going to make a comic about a tennis pro and then you're going to make a comic about like a judo champion how, how, how do you how do you get to learn st enough stuff to like be an expert 
an authority on this subject in order to make a comic about it. There's so much about Japanese comics I just don't understand. Hey, go back one more. Yes, sir. The, uh, this multiple image montage panel helps illustrate inner conflicts. Montage de-emphasizes the physical positions of characters in a scene because the conflicts aren't physical in nature, they're emotional. I love that note. I don't yeah. know. The this is, again, you get into like weird psychology of like the mechanics of comics. So different readers are probably going to interpret it. Different creators are going to interpret it different. But I love the idea of that. Yeah. You know, how, how that can function and why. It certainly makes sense to me. You know, to unlock that power, we may have to consider some new ideas. If ever there was a time uh, for new ideas, this is it as the Scott McCloud character is standing outside of like a Century 3 mall comic shop that is going out of business. Bill and Walt's Hobby Shop in, uh, in uh, Century 3 Mall probably was toast at this point or uh, on, on its way out. Yeah. BC and you. So he's he's basically pointing the bat like Babe Ruth saying like, manga might be uh, the savior of comics here in the States and, and, and he, he would be correct. Yeah, big time. Manga in America, man. Like, so there's a new generation of cartoonist that is out there uh and there's a new bit of inspiration that has come come across you know uh the american comics language is dominated by jack kirby for for so long but now you got a joe Matarera who yeah he went to like an arts high school in uh in the city and yeah he was a super young intern at marvel but Marvel Comics was not his first love. Like, he's a video game cat, and he likes a lot of things, and he had the laser discs of Fatal Fury and and uh, those types of uh, fight anime. And he's bringing that energy into Marvel Comics. It's so funny, because he would be canceled uh, for this comic. Talk about uh, cultural appropriation and shit. It's all the... Basically, the influences of these guys. J. Scott Campbell, Art Adams, Matarera... Uh, it's all the stuff that was basically available here in the States at, at the time in terms of manga and anime. It is, it is, th those things are so influential, the stuff that was available and popular. Akira, of course, uh, Ninja Scroll has been mentioned so much, and it just makes me think, like, my friends watch Ninja Scroll, they didn't read comics, they didn't know what anime was, Ninja Scroll was just awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you see J. Scott Campbell mentioning Ghost in the Shell, that comes up with a bunch of these guys because it is available, it's amazing, but it's available. Yeah, you know what's interesting is like it's it might not even be available from Dark Horse yet. I know that there was like a preview and that it was like forthcoming, but it's it's brand new and and they do talk about like I got it early. I believe you know Joe Mad's a weeb. You know, like I'm sure that he was able to like get cool imports and stuff like that. Yeah, he's in New York. Like he was, I think, interning at Marvel, so he could have been he buying that stuff. He could went to that Kino Kuniya. Cloud could have been hanging out at lunch. Yeah. But the Art Adam stuff, you know, like he's he's like the least interested in manga, like on the surface. He's just like, yeah, you know, I see some stuff. Yeah, like I saw that he did the covers for those Appleseed Eclipse comics that right. came out in the '80s. Said he was buying Akira before Epic started publishing it. Yeah, that's dope. That's super dope, man. Uh, but it is Scott McCloud who is name and names you know he's the only guy to, to mention tezuka like like i don't know that these other dudes even know who tezuka was at this time and uh it's it's fun to like get that that education you know you see a name that's important you know that you know you got to go down that rabbit hole that's one of the things that was great about understanding comics was to get some names yeah. uh to associate with uh more creators that you got to sort of dig into he also mentions manga manga yeah which is uh probably the only mention of that in here but 
you know, like he's talking about when Zot comes out in 1984 having manga influence. So definitely early, uh, an early interest in manga. Yeah, totally. And it all goes back to that uh, that DC internship or, or editorial position that he had going to that Kinokuniya, seeing my first Japanese stuff with those Shonen Jumps that my pops brought. Like it was mystical comics, you know, the fact that you can't read it is one thing. But then when you just see this whole dialect, this whole idiom that is completely different than what we that what we know uh oh my little highlights on various creators oh my god this is a license that uh that dark horse got that like whenever we start going to the comic shop it's like you see 10 volumes of that and it's like oh i better not even get started but it's still big eye see like when i started to dabble like kamui was my entry point and then akira and then the furthest i went to like the big eye shit was um was Masamuni Shiro because like one character might have those big eyes but the rest is like super technically detailed and shit I just wasn't into that kind of stuff they go down like the last artist named is Kenichi Sonata and I know from Gunsmith Cats and they talk about like he probably receives the least respect in Japan because he is seen as too otaku uh loosely meaning fanboy that's just funny to me because I feel like I kind of I respond to the fanboy part of that stuff right and I think a lot of American comics audiences do so uh it's kind of interesting to see that that's a criticism in Japan but I feel like it makes for a really good translated manga yeah it's crazy he he is affiliated with Gainax and, mm -hmm. and that's sort of like uh you know badge of honor to that it's like one of those things but what's funny also about the Gainax dudes is like towards the end of Evangelion when they start when the news groups online and start to form and they start to receive feedback and criticism Ano's like Maybe you guys need to grow up to them, but it's like, you know, casting stones, pot calling kettles black, that kind of yeah. stuff. There's your manga, the savior of the industry and future of manga. Like these are, whew, boy, they're laying it out because that is, <laughs> that has come to pass. And the little sidebar piece or bottom bar, whatever you want to call it, just lays out the, the sort of structure of how Japanese comics work. It describes the weeklies. It describes uh, the the culture around that, how these things get get uh, collected, tend to be cheap, between two hundred thirty and five hundred yen. That's still the price mm -hmm. of these things, like the like the weekly shonens and stuff are still that cheap. This Japanese manga bottom article is by Torin Smith, yes. Studio Proteus, yes. responsible for a lot of the early manga that was coming into this country, and uh, and he ends it with saying, um, kind of talking about the broad genres that are available. In, uh, in manga and says um, manga reprinted in America centers mostly on high adrenaline entertainment manga's acceptance will be complete when subject matter about everyday life can thrive in America and again it just feels like this really is is the future you know like from from our vantage point now it's like this is exactly what has happened yeah yeah I mean I would like uh, more people to read Jiro Taniguchi's Walking Man and, and stuff like that. Like it exists, but is it being embraced? No, it's like My Hero Academia and, and like the shonens are, are still still the big deal. We're still into hyperbole, but uh, listen, it's it's definitely better than it was. That's for sure. And then genius ad placement. Yeah, you think that he takes a little like, okay, we'll pay you this much, man. And he's like, you know what? That's kind of a discount. Like, how about I get an ad uh, in there too? And, that, and then that will... Uh, I'd be curious how that's out. put together. Is it Dennis Kitchen figures it out? Like, I don't know, but whatever it is, like, good on everybody. Because this is where, like, yeah, take advantage of this. Somebody did, I don't know. If yeah. it's the ad salesman at Wizard, it's like, hey, Dennis. Such a quaint time still, man. Placement. You got to cut out a thing or photocopy it. Like, like, like e-commerce 
is still too nerve-wracking to wrap our heads around the fact like putting your own you notice the email addresses in some of the letters columns like like to use your given name on the internet was such a scary notion for a while so who the fuck is going to put their credit card yeah on the internet uh it was too too many holes back in the day man did you get this book facts from sarajevo absolutely this was one that was on my list and maybe the first graphic novel i bought at cover price you know like in advance right. where it was like i want this thing into joe kubert the promo for it makes it sound so dramatic he has a friend who is at this point his agent for like the european market who's in bosnia and is method of communication is faxing and so kubert's one of the guys that he faxes to sometimes getting four or five faxes a uh, a day from him terrible war there and so this is kind of a kubert adaptation of what he's hearing from this guy and i can remember barry windsor smith's comics journal interview where he pointed at this book and said i'm embarrassed for joe kubert right <laughs> and his reason was he felt Kubert's language was the Sergeant Rock language. Yeah. You know, the explosion looks like that dime store pulp kind of comic book explosion whenever he's clearly attempting to deal with a more serious subject matter. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, that seems like a shitty thing to say about another pro. Maybe it's good to be honest. I don't know. But it was a, it was a wild book and it certainly made me think kind of outside of what I was looking at. And I was just searching for anything that wasn't Spider-Man and Batman. For sure. And, you know, Joe Kubert doing an ambitious graphic novel. That was a big book for me. This, yeah, me too. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I don't think that it, uh, that it holds together the entire time. You know, the first right. couple of chapters are really, really strong. And then, and then I, I, it's been a long time since I gave it a shot. Me I still too. have it. I still have it. I, I got rid of mine. We could dust it off at any time and check it out but uh i think the noteworthy piece here beyond just the fact that like it's getting some promo is that uh this is one of those very interesting things where he did this book on spec mm -hmm. for a big chunk you know like i think it might be you know he when he was 12 years old he worked for will eisner interesting so as a as like i think a letterer so you know the eisnerian aspect comes to mind of like you know will getting old and doing contract with god and then a whole gang of of graphic novels and stuff because that's what this is this is it was never disseminated as a comic book and then collected it's a big hardcover comic that yes. that that you know has practical color and you know his lettering like you know he put a massive effort into it but uh this is not something he sold sight unseen he was doing pages and had to pitch it basically i uh, i guess the reason it gets to get an article is because dark horse ha is mentioning that th yes they did acquire it yeah and they describe it as a heated bidding war in quotes he said that he wasn't sure how this was going to be met and all the major comic companies most of the major comic companies made offers to publish it so it's kind of cool to think like this is an early again like the story that's surprising me in these 90s rereads is the emergence of graphic novels the pieces that are being laid you know and now you've got multiple publishers that want an original graphic novel bidding on it sounds like the present you know right. <laughs> it's, it's probably one of the early graphic novels to get that sort of a treatment sure also love these like two pages in and out articles yeah Storytelling and pacing, uh, Crash Course by uh, Greg Capullo. Uh, very sound advice. Dude, this this guy is a is a working pro. You know, like like uh, that that old thing that I that I do say all the time, man. Is like I'm not trying to learn anything from some book learning fuck. Give me some you, t Warren Buffett. Tell me about finance. That type of shit. Uh, Greg Capullo is in the game, dude. He is regularly putting out uh, those Spawn comics, like like uh, you know 
every month. So I'm going to listen to what he has to say about storytelling, and it's very sound advice. It's not in this one. It's going to be the, probably the next issue where he does one sequence, and he does it over a different numbers of panels to show That's you great. different dramas. I look forward to that. It's, it's, it's super fun, man. My favorite from this is that he shows this in different order. Yes, and it, and it does convey two separate things, man. It's pretty like, neat. Like it's, what's cool is, like, okay, so we look at the first one, Water Tower, small figure... Uh, the middle panel stays the same, and then we zoom in on the eye. So it becomes about him as subject. And then uh, doing it in reverse order, where we have the eye, middle tier, and then we see the water tower, the background established. The next panel would be something that has to do with the exterior. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be an inner monologue or something like that. And that's a great illustration of that. It's neat to see these early days of like, how do we describe panel to panel stuff? Because again, understanding comics has a version of this. Yeah. And the more of those like books that you look at, I, you know, I'm sure Will Eisner's storytelling book has this. Yeah. The more you see like, place your order back and forth, less is more. You know, like they're not codified, but you do see the relationships are the same. Totally. I'm I'm watching. Uh, I mean, I'm while I'm working, I'm listening to so much uh, audio commentary tracks from uh, DVDs and stuff, and listening to them choose shots and the importance of the editing mm-hmm. and all that, like I mean because that's kind of that's a version of editing when you're making these choices 100 percent yeah yeah, you, yeah you just I, never think about that that's, i went through a phase of like being a fan of film editing and reading a couple of those books and watching a couple of videos on that subject and it's exactly the same thing i mean this is apocalypse now man it is it's also alan moore did a lot of this stuff early on where it was like how do you visually link one scene to another or one panel to the next the first five minutes of apocalypse now it's it's literally martin sheen laying down <laughs> in, in the uh the hotel room looking up at the fan and then you hear the chopper blades and then you see you see you know tomahawk helicopters and things i think this good shape thing is really interesting and i'm not sure that i can point to an example where it's really been exploited i've seen tall thin panels that that are dramatic maybe somebody falling off a building with off the top of my head quick example but it feels like you know there really is something there where the physical quality can be exploited some web comics i've seen that where like you're scrolling to do some effect you know falling off of something or whatever is is, is my go-to uh but it does feel like that's genuinely a little bit of a different germane to comics language that i don't think is widely exploited yeah, that's an interesting thought because because I was thinking of a lot of examples where I thought it was, but it's graphic usually. It's, yeah, it's, it's usually graphic, and yet like it's it's something that's pretty unique to a page compared to film. You know who does something super cool, and and whenever we get to those issues of uh, Love and Rockets, I'll ab- absolutely point it out. But Jaime will do this thing where when he has like a long panel like this, time moves this way. So uh, there's one panel where I remember he's like picking up a character by the lapels. You know, one guy's picking somebody else up. And the flow of the story downward, something happens at the bottom of the panel that yeah, that's would a happen a couple of seconds right. after. Uh, and it's very complicated to explain. I, 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 I'll know it when I see it when we get to those issues. And I've seen that on horizontals where like, you know, like often a panel is a moment. Yeah. But I've seen horizontals where it's like, oh, three beats, but it's all one panel. Right. So, yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about, where you're playing with like a physical quality that's always at, that's also adding something to the storytelling part. I love this stuff, the objective, subjective uh, very clear example, same with point of view, is kind of an extension of that subjective objective. And I think that's a really good one, too, that isn't always talked about. Good pieces, man. I believe these uh, these articles have been compiled into some sort of wizard trade paperback about how to make comics. They did well with him as the columnist for that. Real good. And I think Adam Warren's going to be the next guy. I'm looking forward to that. 
Uh, we might have shot our load, dude. We've got uh, Palmer's picks yet. Okay, sweet. And that's kind of a, a a quick run through for me. This is Jay Stevens, yes, um, a really good cartoonist and a guy who I come too late. You know, I yep. wasn't picking this stuff up in the '90s, and I can't imagine what this would have been like in the '90s when it was like brand new. Because the contrast of like the image guys, for example, it would it would be probably older heads. You know, yeah. like like because like the like the people who are primed by um, UPA cartoons and Spumco. Mm -hmm. You know, like the like the adults who are watching Ren and Stimpy would be a Jay Stevens comic book reader i would bet you yeah and I, I would see links eventually like late 90s connections to say a mike allred where you know you like this check out this kind of thing yeah. where like you are getting those cartoon influences and the bubblegum colors and all of that great stuff my first jay stevens is big tp uh, yes. big thb once again me being the mush i get thb put on to <laughs> put onto my you playlist. ruined it Ed. you're the guy <laughs> that's not going to be the last one of this issue <laughs> That is that's not funny. Be the last one. Uh, you mentioned it though, and that's Paul Pope. You know, like they're talking about that team up of uh, Jay Stevens and Paul Pope. Which you think of both of those artists, it's kind of neat that they that they mesh in a way that they're, you know, like they're unusual stylistically compared to one another. Absolutely, and yet they seem to have an energy together. Yeah, there must be some spiritual component, like when you know they're at the the convention bar or something that like is in kind because it is very different comics. Jay Stevens far more to the traditional in a lot of ways. They both sling that thick brush, you yeah. know, they both agree that you don't need that Windsor Newton series seven, number two or whatever. And Jay Stevens still actively producing new comics. Um, I do see some of these comics in dollar bins, atomic city tells, um, you know, I've picked up a couple from there. So you can find Jay Stevens work out there. And I'd encourage people if, if you like this sample, go check it out. He's a kayfaber. He sent us some, some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is the era, man. You know, I'm reading this, this magazine regularly and the Trinity is mentioned, you know, what comics are you reading? Love and Rockets, Jim, Acme Novelty Library, THB, eight ball, rubber blanket, Palooka, madman comics like the the crown jewels of fantagraphics are always mentioned in I, in this uh article i read that list and it's like boy there were some good comics coming out in the 90s the 90s get painted with a certain brush of, of garbage that's a pretty good list of comics you just rattled charles off burns black hole yes. you know like whenever you know get that invite to san diego or something like this man and and, and you know jaime and gilbert are at the table and and you know i'm signing after them at that scheduled amount and you know, always, man, there's a good line for them. They've been going to that show since day one. And Jaime will be like, oh, Ed, I'm so sorry. I'm like, never apologize. Like the doors that you kick down for me, I say it to them every time I see them, the doors you kick down for me to walk in with ease, you could do anything, man. Like you, you, get, you get a blank ticket to do whatever the fuck you want, man, the way that you helped me out in my life inadvertently. Yeah. Uh, the recommended reading from uh, Tom Palmer Jr. Man, Patty Cake and uh, Ghost Ship, a Zurich winner. I don't know Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship is John Lewis, who you probably know from True Swamp, is yeah. the book I always associate with him. Yes. Uh, Carl Gustav Horn is the guy who is writing the manga scene article at this point, getting some highlights on um, more Masamuni Shiro. You know, like when Dark Horse gets that connection probably by way of Torrance Smith mm -hmm. with uh, Masamuni Shiro. They're like, fuck it, let's do the bibliography, man. They did Orion, which is like, which is like uh, Masamuni Shiro does Lovecraft with ninjas or whatever. They did uh, Tank Police. I always, in my mind, I call it New Dominion Tank Police because that's what the uh, right. cartoon was. Uh, they do, of course, Ghost in the Shell. 
Um, I think, did they do a Black Magic reprint? They did. I'm trying to think. It must have been after this. Black Magic starts out, I mean, that's a fan comic that he... It's did. a doujinshi, uh, you know, in the same way that, like, uh, my boy Takashi's Afro Samurai yeah, I guess was a doujinshi. amateur is the word, not fan comic, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, just amateur press, uh, but but original material, you mm -hmm. know, so that, that was pretty cool. And, and, and uh, Eclipse put out four volumes of that to complete to complete the set. Yeah, kind of interesting. They talk about Shiro being a recluse. I don't know if that's still the case or not, but that's kind of kind of interesting, Mass especially teacher. in our, our day of like social media now. <laughs> Imagining a recluse is like, huh. I think I'm there. Could you get away with that? I think I'm there, dude. Like uh, the people I talk to, like uh, just because I'm here on this channel talking, like don't think that that's my natural state. Like this is a one day a week thing, man. Fair enough. Uh, Blade of the Immortal is starting up. Yes. Also mentioned here. And that went on to be, I think, a book that influenced a lot of people in our generation. They, I knew so many people that that was like a pool book for them. They kept that one going, man. 100 plus issues. Uh, that Takashi Maike dude, however you say his mm -hmm. name, directed the flick. Yeah. Which was pretty fucking badass. Uh, there's all this stuff, man, that uh, is mentioned that becomes like the staple of Dark Horse manga. Uh, they mentioned Oh My Goddess, Gunsmith Cats. Which is on the on the fence whether they're going to get a second issue of that or a second series of that or not. Which they definitely yes. do. <laughs> that is another Gainax uh, liaison. Did you mention Lone Wolf and Cub is starting up? That's mentioned in here that Dark Horse is going to start printing those now. That's fascinating because that does not happen for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, is it really mentioned in there? Yeah, it's, it's right down here. Uh, it'll be, you know, the first time since first comics printed it in 87. Man, because I mean, I have them right there. Like I could see what the date is, but number one is at the bottom of the stack, you know. Uh, but is that the way they started though? And we're looking at the at the like the, the bunkos, yeah, the small bunko versions. Uh, yeah, like it it was not, it was not like the first comics. Okay. As far as I know, like I'm pretty sure those are the only things that showed up. And then you know they did omnibuses right. la later that were bigger, but I think those are the the um, OGs, man. And I, and I don't think it happens for years after this. Like, I, I feel like it's in tandem with Akira when they get the Akira license, and that's in 2000. Hmm. Put something in the comments, people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have, like, a vague memory that they did them as a bigger book, like those omnibus sizes, but, you know, like, maybe, you know, a third of them in terms of how much is reprinted, but I can't... I could be wrong. I don't have those on my shelf. You, and you don't see them anywhere. But like, I remember when they the went books. to that original size, and it was, like strange yeah like that is uh, that is um the bunko size which happens for hit comics and let me just pull yeah it i was gonna sit on the ground so yeah these. yeah so so this is not the original size like the original size for the for the uh, tanko bonds would be six like six by nine like uh you know like a typical manga that you see like a shown like a shonen manga these bunkos um, which I think was genius because it was an opportunity to get them all right. from Dark Horse at, at a cheap price point. It was ten bucks. They came out monthly. That was that wasn't too big of a stretch at at that point. But um, hit comics will be in this smaller format, and it's cool that they retain the uh, first comics covers to the issues. Uh, so you know, you get Miller's. Oh, oh, this is volume one. Let's yep. let's take a look. See, August 2000 for this thing, man. August 2000, and it looks like it's a seventh printing already. Yeah. Okay, so maybe 1995. Maybe they did do something. I felt like they did, but I can't remember exactly what it would have been, and it must have been volume, you know, like trade paperback size volumes, I would guess. But yeah, maybe maybe of the same size as the Oh My Goddesses and stuff. Yeah, maybe. Barefoot Gen. 
You know what surprised me on that is it's published by New Society Publishers. I don't know them, but out of Philadelphia. Very weird. Like it's it's gone through several publishers, you know, and then it sort of lands. I'm just reaching into the camera. <laughs> Very sorry. A lot but, of visual aids this episode. But right? it lands you know, at hand, right? It lands at uh, Last Gasp. You know, it was a thing. Yeah, it, that surprises me too. It was a thing called. Um, Edu Comics to, to begin. That was San the very Francisco early based. one. Yeah, and I think Frederick Schott was connected to the educational comics, and they were comic books. A couple, uh, yeah. a couple of issues they published. I would love to do the. Do you have this volume? Uh, what is that? Volume one. Volume one. I have a ver. I have a different volume, a different version of yeah. it. Probably a different publisher. Yeah, this would be this would be a good because like the sort of climax happens here, but it's a ten volume story. It becomes an autobiography of his comic career, but dealing with the turmoil of basically living through Hiroshima and the way that he says that he survived, he was just behind like a plank of wood when the fucking blast goes off. Yeah. It seems so random, but it also is like, isn't there fallout? Like, like, don't they tell us about fallout? And he got to live a nice ripe old age. His mom survived a long time, but part of the book was like, there's all these constant reminders of like going through that trauma. And, and when his mom passed away, um, you know they they cremate the their dead out there and when uh they cremated her her bones and stuff were so brittle that there was nothing he he had nothing to like remember her by to like wow to like covet her like and just totally evaporated in the furnace and that was like the final thing where he's just like this goddamn bomb has followed me everywhere i go and now i can't even have my mother's remains because of that incident. It's it's harrowing stuff. It's an amazing choice as like early manga coming into this country. Yes. It's kind of a genius choice. Absolutely. An important book. And, and Ron Turner, he's an old hippie. He's a San Francisco cat, you know? Um, maybe the first hit from Shonen Jump magazine, by the way. One of the King K. Faber's Jabba posted, Last Gasp just released a new edition of I Saw It. Oh, which cool. is the name of that first uh, first so, comic? Yeah, book. the one shot. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the probably the first Shonen Jump hit comic. That's in shocking. the 70s. Isn't that shocking when you think of Shonen Jump? Right. Yeah, because it's a it's a real story. You know, like like it's 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 very serious. Right. If you were to track like the hits that come out of Shonen Jump, this seems like a which one of these is not like the others. It it is it is prototypical for sure. Very quickly, this American invasion was Dark Horse pushing some of their comics into Japan. I would love to see like a Japanese manga phone book style of like American comics that they were trying to push out. Yeah. I don't know if that actually exists based on this description, but it'd be cool if that did exist as an artifact. I'd be curious. To Very see. often, it's it's just a version of like what comes out here with Japanese text, including the same reading order. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't flip a piece of American or like that's <laughs> you some, something about it is just too fucked up. The drawing board always always sharp, yeah. always dope, man. This this is iconic to me. Yeah, it's pretty fun. The piece that you win. I love it, and I love the composition of that Del Keown pit. Yeah, where Timmy's like framed. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty with good. claws and stuff. A good representation of uh, Sin City ish type artwork, man. With your Team Seven. Yeah. You know, Aaron Wiesenfeld is the other guy. Like you, know, we talked about Nick Manabat. To me, it's like Nick Manabat and Aaron Wiesenfeld are like the cool. He's on my list. Cool dudes that come from the G Jim Lee Studios. He just, I just saw a Batman of his, a Batman drawing of Aaron Weisenfeld, and I can't help but compare it to, to Stephen Platt. Both of those yeah. guys leave comics and then, you know, now and then dabble in it. I think he's a fine artist now. He is, he's a painter. Yeah, he has shows too, solo shows and stuff in New York. I'll see advertised now and then. I like Weisenfeld's stuff, so he's on my list as a future uh, 
subject. I used to watch Bobby's World before school during during <laughs> this time. Heard of that. It's it's Howie Mandel. He does all the voices wow. and stuff, and he does like a uh, an intro like with Bobby, you know, where he's green screened in there. And one of the um, most subversive jokes in Bobby's world, man, I I couldn't believe that they did because it's a little kid show is uh, Bobby is like underneath the ocean. I think he's like drowning in a pool, but but like when he's passing out, he's in the ocean and there's um, uh, an octopus comes by and it's a girl. She's got the eyelashes and he goes, I thought only boys had tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, every one of these I think is good. Hey, is that the, is that the way they would make the mouth nose on the cartoon? I think if not, so. that's a great, I love that as a line. Milestone should have hired this dude to do covers. Totally. That is a badass cover. I realize that's a swipe, but that's a badass looking cover. And if you look at it, see, the problem is that these get shrunk down into a uh, thumbnail view. It tightens it up, but like it looks all um, color pencil. Yes. Yeah. All right. That might be it. Yeah, I think that's probably we got. We got the uh, John. Oh, okay. Okay. Now we got one more, a couple more things. Oh, man. yeah. You're right. I've got some stuff. Pittsburgh Comic Con. Nice. Uh, this is the one with um, Stan Lee, which I think might be Pittsburgh Comic Con 2. I I forget the orders. I think Pittsburgh Comic Con 1 is McFarlane, and then Pittsburgh Comic Con 2 is Stan Lee, I'm thinking. And this is this is it. For, like, this is the time, dude. Like, like where I actually get to go to a real comic convention. I remember reading in the pages of Wizard about these comic conventions, knowing that I would never be able to convince my folks to ever take me anywhere. Definitely not to San Diego. And now we have one in our own backyard. Um, at a certain point, probably a year later, a year or two later, like some of the friends that I have, you know, they turn 21 and and, and they can um, they can get a, a hotel room. So we would like, this ain't far from the house. Right. But we would just drive up there stay there the whole weekend watch all the movies and stuff i'm jealous of that story the, there was uh there was uh, um so much stuff going on afterward uh toward the end of the 90s when pittsburgh comic-con gets the harvey awards that's when like all your favorite people start to come to town the bros come to town fantagraphics that's where we see the 60 dollar eddie campbell from hell pages at the top shelf booth um Guar. There were some good shows there. I would probably have driven to this. Like this is probably a show where we we cross paths yeah. with no idea of it. Because I'm in college, I'm a freshman then, and had just gotten a car like a month before I got my first car. So this is probably where I was taking it out for a test run. I uh, probably at this very show. If I didn't buy the run of Moon Knight for ten bucks, I bought the run of New Mutants. Minus the, the Rob Liefeld issues for like $20, yeah. man. Because uh, it was like the first one, I got one of those. And then the second, because like they were just, this is the, the bubble has burst. So you, the deals were insane. Yeah, a lot of great quarter. I used to buy Kirby 70s stuff for quarters. And they'd be in boxes under the table. Totally. From from Todd, I got coverless um Neil Adams X-Men's for a quarter. Yeah. Just because they didn't have the cover. This is another one of those, I look at these ads and I think back and it's like, man, if I could go back there with $500, I'd be retired now. What I would also do is um, get every indie book at, at, at those tables and stuff. And, and it, you know, like it was, it was interesting shit. It would be like the Rabid Monkey or like the Furies or Harpy uh, by Dave something or other. But then... Um, I would take my portfolio to um, Steve Lieber. I would take it to everybody, 
but Steve Lieber would sit me down like and and uh would show me what a tangent is. The first time I ever heard of a tangent was from Steve Lieber. And then so like after like probably the first one, I would um draw pages all year and then bring the best of those to uh the Comic-Con and put like a piece of 11 by 17 tracing paper. Like I would put tracing paper over top and then cut it and then bring it to Steve Lieber so that he could mark really my good. shit up. And he would spend so much time with me and and I sucked. He there was no glimmer that this kid is going to be a cartoonist, but he took a would take a half hour and go through the stuff with me and it was just extremely meaningful. Yeah. Good times at that show. Double Impact, the world's worst bad girl comics. I see so many of those <laughs> yeah. in dollar bins. I wonder if that guy's somewhere here on, on the East Coast that those surface. Yeah. But it never makes like the wizard top 10 list. But it does make me think, do a big fan demand and we'll do like a bad girl, just the crap bad girl books that we can pull out. <laughs> hey, this Marvel Heroes number one, this is a new book. Um, you know, this isn't like the, uh, you know, value back issue that Wizard used to have that column. This is a new book in 96. Neil Adams, John Buscema, Gene Collins, Steve Ditko, John Romita Sr. as your uh, pencils. Terry Austin, Kevin Nolan, Mark Texera on your inks. Do you know this book? Not at all. I don't know that it came out. I don't know. Boy, that's a heck of a team, man. I don't know if they're shot, if they're hot shot in certain stuff, man, where it's like, it's a bunch of reprints and then you get like a story because it says Stanley's script. Yeah. Nisi has a plot. Like, okay, maybe that is I'm one. I'm curious about it. That's a lot of talent in that, in that credits page. They're showing an old right. Avengers 50 drawing, you know? How about that Jeff Darrow drawing? That's what I was going to say. That's the piece that I remembered when we got back here. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Amazing, man. Let me get the glare off the camera there, man. Uh, yeah, he did a, co a cover for all these like a mountain, think like a mountain joints. Really good fit, Jeff Darrow, with, with concrete. I'd completely forgotten about those. What a rogues gallery, man, for Aquaman there. Look at that shit. Yeah. Catwoman having her costume ripped off, of course. Yeah. I swear to God, man, J Jim Ballant draws the same pose in every cover. Every All of his covers, it's the same It's the same proportion. Like, it's it's uh the same kind of um, angle or whatever of uh, Catwoman. Like, if you've copied and pasted the heads at their exact size uh, of all of his Catwoman, I bet they're all within millimeters of you one another. Right. <laughs> you may be right. He ran that thing too. Like I think he did like 75 issues. Yeah, like, whatever yeah. that run was, I think he did maybe all of them. He kept up that pace. That's, that's for sure, man. Death by Chocolate's a book I find in dollar bins, and I mention that because it's a Zurich book. Yeah, David Yurkovic, man. Uh, he did a... Uh, Man, it was collected by Top Shelf. I remember I, it was one of my early Top Shelf books, superhero book, uh, but pretty cool. Yeah, Broccoli Agenda? No, like no, it was, it was, uh, if you said it, I would know it, but it's definitely not Broccoli Yeah, it was a name Agenda. that I would see around that time period. Look at what they did to Wolverine at this point, too, man. They turn him into, like, a goober. Yeah. He's, like, this, like, feral character. It's just like, come on, man. Pretty striking Frank Miller cover, like, the early days of show a thumbnail and, and have it read. Absolutely, man. Uh, the the other instance of being a mush was putting Tyrant on my uh, pull list, and they're talking Ugh. about what's what's happening in issue five. That might make me madder than you getting THB canceled. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> and then talking about like the action spills over to the sixth issue, so we at least know that Beset planned this stuff, man. Uh, yeah, I wonder Steve, how far down the road he got. Let's go, man! Like the world has changed. Here's the thing: like this is Tyrant is a book ahead of its time. Way ahead super ambitious 
and a lot of legwork that needed to be done. The distribution changes, I think, really put salt in the game for the man. But man, with what you, ha Steve, with what you have already, I'm trying to tell you. I think we talked about this in a shoot interview. Probably. With what you have, you could you could get a six-figure book deal. I remember taking it to my art teachers, and they would shit on every comic I showed them. I showed them Tyrant, and they were like. Yeah, this is good. You could get a six-figure book deal easy, man. You could see your full vision. Uh, it, I, you, I just know it. I dream of it, and I hope that's what he's doing. I, I just know it, man. But I apologize for putting it on my pull list because, <laughs> because you know what would happen is like I would put these things on my pull list, and maybe one would show up, but like sometimes never. Like sometimes, like I got the last issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know how far into Tyrant you were whenever you added it to your I, pull I, list. I, but... I, uh, I put it on my pull list with issue three. I got issue four in the pull list. Uh, like, you know, sometime later, and that was it. All right. These are going to be showing up, which are kind of fun to look at, but, like, I just don't care about any of it. A lot of work. I think of Fred Hembeck with that kind of stuff. You know, like, he would do some, some certain stuff along those lines. Yeah. Animal Mystic, whenever I talk about the Akiko article with the uh -huh. uh, serious stuff, this Animal Mystic is going to get its shine. And then there's like another series called Dowland, but you know, it's spelled like T-A-O, but it's Dow, T-A-O-L-A-N-D, where it's like the when he, first time I saw the term digital painting, and I never saw an interior of Dowland, but like the rigor of the cover art, you know, makes you think of like humanoids kind of work, sure. like that type yeah, of metabarons, but um. If the interior was that, like that just would have been revolutionary for the time. Poison Elves was listed in like the uh, the books in that list, which is also published by Sirius at this time period. Yeah. Um, like I say, I'm just curious about the history of that company. Yeah, yeah. I got an I Lucifer number two at the Ides sale just for the uh, Poison Elves component to it. I like that Pat Olaf is getting yeah. a little shine, dude. He's uh, not far from Pittsburgh and uh, up to this point, he's been doing solid, solid work. He would show up in those Eternity comics the uh, weird Frankenstein 1945 or something like that was like uh, one of these Eternity comics. He would show up, he would do the backups for uh, the Tales of Asgard for the Thor comics that Ron Friends was producing. You know, those guys are kind of tight. Right. Yeah, I liked his stuff. Yeah, really, really solid artist. Johnny the Homicidal Maniac is uh, starting to go up in value a little piece. Oh, yeah, here's I Lucifer. Uh, issue two of I Lucifer is up to 35 bucks as per as per wizard. And the very final piece is uh, John Byrne is going to be a monthly contributor to an article. Out, out with McFarlane, in with John Byrne. Yeah, I guess it starts next month. <laughs> this article um it really is that that scar tissue old school fandom energy of i got into comics for the right reasons right and i just wonder if you kids today are gonna you remember the comics that got you into the game that's what he's doing he's showing off the first batman comic that he read that kind of got him excited and it and it's all about just like jerking off all over that, that comic, whatever. I like this sentence. The art was by Dick Sprang, the only comic professional whose name is a sentence. <laughs> That's why he's getting paid for this column. I saw another good uh, sex name uh, comic artist, but I, f I forget what it is. Like, it'll come up eventually in our, uh, in our ch channel discoveries. And, you know, the, the last piece is just about, okay, in 2036, uh, that'll be the same passage of time as to when I read this Batman comic. Uh, will you kids 
remember have such a fond memory of your chromium die cut embossed gold foil covers that you read for the first time yeah interesting uh interesting question we'll find out <laughs> yeah come back to tune back in at 2036 <laughs> and we'll see not too see far away here not too far away how about this dude for next month dude in the same uh same position that we had some of that billy tucci stuff i think there's a multi-page paul grist kane conversation that i'm we're excited get. for that i'm a huge kane it's it's a series that i've actually tracked down over the years to get a full run of and there aren't that many that i've that i've done that for yeah but i love paul paul grist kane comic i think it's really strong and you know what i confess man i did not read this uh wizard profile by gary frank if you can uh do a little heavy lifting i don't have one, a whole lot to say about this but i learned that he's from england i didn't okay. know that before i read this yeah i don't know if it's happening at this point i guess so like like if liam sharp has been on uh the hulk already man so i think he might already be on that supergirl which i picked up about 10 issues of that yeah he did hulk for a long time gary frank and then he follows that with black black canary slash oracle Sabretooth special god will for malibu and uh bullets and bracelets which we saw earlier in this issue so yeah man goes on to do quite a bit of work yes they're still in the game I, i'm quite sure i think didn't he do that doomsday clock bullshit that was his deal that sounds right yeah there it is dude not a bad not a bad little historical issue boy a lot more stuff in there than i uh would have expected say three wizards ago well guess what kayfabers we might be uh done on uh wizard cover you probably should have said this at the top of the show jimmy yeah i messed up but uh we uh, let the people know i am getting near the end of my run this is issue 56 i have i think 57 and 58 i need 59 to 67 is what i'm looking for so if you guys have an extra issue Bring it to Heroes and give it to me or send it into the Cartoonist Cafe P.O. Box. That is right underneath this video and every video. So pretty easy to find if you've got 59 to 67, I believe, is what I'm looking for to keep the uh, wizard train rolling. Yep. Uh, and without further ado, man, let's get the heck out of here. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy and I are going to be going to Heroes Con uh, next week as of this uh, recording. Going to be bringing a gang of stuff. Uh, our entire our bibliographies are coming, so if you need to fill in some gaps in your collection, come come say hi, come uh, say what's up. Rock your cartoonist kayfabe t-shirts. Can't wait to meet you. We're promoting cartoonist kayfabe comic book Christmas in July. Also, this is an initiative that Jimmy and I created last year, where we are taking as creators, we're taking a, a bunch of our comps and we're taking a bunch of our doubles that we've received in that PO box and accidentally bought over the course of the year we're, we're uh disseminating them around town uh to those free little lending libraries all over uh, the city of pittsburgh we encourage you to do the same the idea is that it's an action item where we can help create more comic book readers uh somebody's going to find a comic revisit a comic for the first time in a long time potentially see a comic for the first time and uh, just like you or i they're, they're going to get that bug and they're going to go seek out uh, future comic content but the videos are brought to you by the books that we make uh you're looking at a bunch of our bibliography here coming soon for the holiday season here it is dude hip-hop family tree omnibus gold foil 504 page this is the entire spine ladies and gentlemen 504 page omnibus collecting the four volumes of hip-hop family tree with 140 pages of additional material uh there's going to be a an x-men grand design collection trade paperback coming out 
that'll collect the entire X-Men Grand Design Trilogy. That's what they're calling it. Uh, scoop that thing up in time for the holidays. That'll be out in uh, November. Uh, and Red Room is out in the wild. Uh, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit. Crypto Killers is the new series. This is a cover for issue number two. You're definitely going to want to get issue number three because that's going to be a hot key, as the kids call it these days. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit. There are two existing Red Room trade paperbacks out there. Jimmy, tell the people what you have. Street Angel Princess of Poverty is my next release coming from Image Comics later this year. It will collect all the comics that are not in Street Angel Deadly Scroll Alive. Get the two books together. They'll look nice on your shelf as a set, and they will collect all of the Street Angel comics that I have done so far. And Deadly Scroll Alive just came back into print from image so if you missed it the first time you can pick that one up hulk grand design is out in its oversized treasury fluorescent green edition buy that while supplies last plain jane's first young adult graphic novel and uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can read my latest comics there are some other ways that you can support the cartoonist kayfabe channel jimmy let the people know subscribe to the cartoonist kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video you can also find cartoonist kayfabe t-shirts merchandise hats fanny packs stickers and lots more at our spread shop that is underneath this video also all great ways to support the cartoonist kayfabe channel given those marching orders and we'll be on our way read more comics